Saving money on your outdoor project? Now at Menards. We have everything you need to keep your outdoor power equipment running smooth so you can keep that lawn in tip-top shape or enjoy some time on your boat. Right now, all FVP, lawn and garden, and marine batteries are on sale through May 5th. Check out our entire selection of FVP batteries today and view our weekly flyer on Menards.com for more great deals. Save big money at Menards. Hi, I'm Ethan Skolnick. Welcome to episode 19 of the Five Reasons Podcast. Thank you for finding us. We are always on iTunes if you're an Apple person. Also on Stitcher if you have Android. And we are on Google Play. Make sure that you subscribe so you get future episodes. And also go back through the library because a lot of our recent episodes still stand up. One of the things that Chris Whittingham and I have tried to do on the podcast is bring in people who are experts on particular topics to educate us on things we may not know, which may turn out to be a lot. And today we are joined by Chris Kaufman. You can find him at C.K. Parrott. Always found him to be incredibly knowledgeable about the draft, about the Dolphins in general, has great sources and great insights on everything that goes on as they go forward and try to improve a team that dropped to 6-10 and 10 last season. C.K., thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me on. Excited to be here. One of the things that uh, Winningham and I were talking about on a previous episode, and I think this sort of frames everything we're going to talk about today, is a tweet that you put out about Mike Tannenbaum's tenure. And, and I thought this was sort of a launching point for us as we, we went into an episode. But I thought it was it was really smart the way you put it, which is that the Dolphins in Tannenbaum's tenure have tended to reward guys that they've brought in as opposed to taking care of players who may have developed with the Dolphins. And we're seeing this latest example now as we record this with the Jarvis Landry situation. And I was wondering if you could expand a little bit on that and sort of what you see that they've done philosophically, because I think that gets into what we're going to talk about here with the draft specifically. Sure. Uh, what I was getting at is uh, it could be a couple of things going on here, but if you look at it, it's just whether it's sort of a grass is greener on the other side of the fence thing or whether it's a familiarity breeding contempt thing, when they have a guy that's been there for a number of years, they learn the player in and out, they know his weaknesses, they get to know his strengths. It seems like pulling teeth whenever it comes to contract time for that player. But on the other hand, you have these guys that have been outside the system and you just got another example of it just this week as they announced that they intend to trade for Robert Quinn from the, from the Los Angeles Rams. And he has a $10 million salary coming to him this year. They seem to just flip off those uh, multi-million dollar contracts and commitments and give them away like they're candy when it's a guy that's outside of the, uh, the program, outside of the team. And then when they do acquire a guy maybe a little bit cheaper, as was the case in Kiko Alonso or Andre Branch, they acquire them a little bit cheaper. They don't take a whole lot of convincing before they say, you know, they start giving themselves high fives and saying, you know, oh, yeah, we're right about this guy. Let's give him a bunch of money. I don't know if it's confirmation bias or whether it's grass is greener type thing, but they seem to reward the other guys rather than their own. You know what's funny is that it kind of dawned on me that the Dolphins have made this mistake in terms of going from management team to management team. And I don't know why it had just dawned on me, oh, yeah, Jarvis Landry is not a pick of this management team, right? Because Cannonbaum came in in 2015 
And so maybe, you know, we, we look at this next group of rookies in terms of the second contract, right? And it's, it is indicative of the larger problem with the Dolphins, which is because they're chopping and changing management and coaching so often, there really is no long-term strategy, long-term belief in the players, long-term belief in the prospects that they're building. So I guess you can criticize Tannenbaum for that, but maybe the change just set on an, another series of things like this, where now all the Tannenbaum guys will be up for second contracts and the next group won't, won't want to keep them. So I think it's just this sort of repetitive cycle, and we still see effects of it even still, even though this has probably been the most stable the Dolphins organization has been for a period of time. There really is no you know, questions in terms of does the org chart work or you know, who reports to who, and yet there are still signs of the Dolphins' constant changes hurting the business that they're doing in free agency and with their salary cap. And I think if you look at the receiver position, you hit on it because if you take a look at uh, you know the two guys that, that Tannenbaum brought in, right, the Stills trade, that was Tannenbaum, correct? That would have been 2015, and the Devontae Parker pick. And those are the two receivers that they've decided to go forward with, as opposed to Landry, who, as you said, was drafted before Tannenbaum, you know, officially took charge. So I think we see a lot of that. And you do mention that, Chris, and I think you're totally right about that. This has been a dolphin problem for I mean, we're going on decades now. This this problem of, you know, guys who come in and, you know, to run the organization and they want something different than the last group wanted or the last person that was in charge. And so it's this constant churn and it doesn't seem like anybody ever develops or gets to their second contract, especially at a price that the Dolphins can afford. So it just hasn't worked out very well. We want to, we want to get to the first reason here quickly because I did put this out on Twitter for people to ask questions today. And, of course, uh, the quarterback position is the one that everybody's most interested in. Uh, Chris and I did a podcast about Ryan Tannehill. You can find it in the library. I think a lot of that still holds up as far as our belief there. And, and my thought was that, that if you're ever going to draft a quarterback, and I believe in taking a quarterback every year if you can, and I know Adam Gase said uh, at the Combine that, that he believed that, if you're ever going to take a quarterback this year, to me, makes a lot of sense. Uh, you're, you're looking at five guys who could potentially go in the first round. You have a, a quarterback in Ryan Tannehill who hasn't what taken the field for you in, what is it, 20 months or something along those lines since his injury, and he's now 30 years old. And you're getting to the point where you have to, you know, we say this every year, have to make a decision on Tannehill and what's going to be the future with him. And I just think at this point you need young competition and somebody who can potentially take over. CK, what's your thoughts on, on where they are at the quarterback spot? And then we can get into to some of the specifics on, on the five or six guys who might be available to them. Yeah, I think you have to kind of separate the issue a little bit in terms of what should they do, what will they do. As far as the what should they do, you hit on a lot of the points. This, this class is a really good class. This is uh, the best class that we've seen in a little bit. And it's probably going to be a better class than we're going to see in a little bit. I know that people fall into the trap of saying that sort of every year or, or maybe even saying the opposite every year. I don't tend to be a big fan of that sort of thinking. But this year does have a strong glut at the top of these guys. So what should they do if they get a crack at one of these guys, one of these very talented players? I think they ought to consider it. As far as what they will do, on the other hand, I think that's a different story. And I get asked the question, and I think this just happened on Twitter today, is this for real? Are they really in for Baker Mayfield? Are they really in for these other guys? And I have to say, you know, I don't think they, they are. I think that before we kind of got heavy into this cycle, I kind of predicted that we're probably going to hear a lot about quarterbacks in this cycle, which is not 
been the case in previous years. And the Dolphins are probably even going to encourage uh, the talk about quarterbacks because there's no real downside for them to encourage the talk about quarterbacks and, and have their name be connected to these quarterbacks unless they're actually in for a quarterback. If they're actually in for a quarterback, you don't want everybody talking about the Dolphins with a quarterback, right? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. You want to hide what you're doing. You don't want people to trade in front of you for so-and-so. You don't want all these other things to happen that could be negative. If they try to trade up and everybody thinks it's for a quarterback, then they're going to get raked over the coals on the price because when you're trading up for a quarterback, you end up paying an exorbitant price. Now, on the other hand, look at the past when they traded up for Deion Jordan. That was a terrible trade, but they still got a great price for that trade-up. They traded up from something like 12 overall to number three overall, and all it took was a second-round pick. That's almost unheard of. So if they know you're trading up for a quarterback, they're going to rake you over the coals. You don't want to let anybody know you're in for a quarterback if you're actually in for a quarterback. And right now, everybody out there with a source and everybody out there without a source thinks that the Dolphins love these quarterbacks and love Baker Mayfield. So I, I don't think, I mean, are they that bad at this? I, I don't know. But um, I don't think they're in for a quarterback personally. The one thing, though, that I've been curious about through this entire prospect, we kind of mentioned this in the pod we did with Jason Cole, formerly a Bleacher Report. This kind of draft class represents to me a Rorschach test in what you value in quarterbacks. I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, CK, but to me this is every different kind of quarterbacking skill set being presented to these evaluators and saying, well, what do you like? And I've just always been curious, if the Dolphins are going to pull the trigger, which of these prospects do you think would be the one that they would like the most? I think you're right. These are like almost caricatures of different kinds of quarterbacks, right? You got the the guy who made a lot of yards happen with his feet, you know, Lamar Jackson, and uh, and made a lot of plays. Kind of the scrappy playmaker, passer, and Baker Mayfield. The guy that fits all the prototypes, but that everybody seems to hate in Josh Allen. It's really all different types there. I think that the Dolphins, and this is going off of Adam Gase and things that he has said about what he values, and I believe him. I think he values pro-style experience, translatable experience. And I think he also values guys that can operate the offense from within the pocket and that have really professional qualities from inside the pocket. And if you want to go there, I think that Josh Rosen notches everything. I think he's got pro-style experience. He and Josh Allen, for sure, spent the most time under center as opposed to in the gun. And I think that the translatability will attract Adam Gase there, as well as the ability from inside the pocket. Josh Rosen has the best ability to operate from inside there but you know you're talking about other personalities it's not just Adam Gase is Dan Marino going to have a say is Mike Tannenbaum going to have a say is uh, Chris Greer going to have a say I think that all the above are going to get some of it but I think Gase and Marino also will appreciate Baker Mayfield that's where you hear that talk that's why they're they're actually interested I don't believe that they're disinterested in this class or that they don't like these quarterbacks I think they might like them all I just am wondering whether they're actually going to pull the trigger when it comes down to it. That's what I. That's what I'm curious about. How many of them do you think will be there? But if let, let's say they just try and stand pat and and hope that maybe one of those guys fall, do you think that one of them gets to eleven? Two of them gets to how many do you think get to eleven? I don't think any of them get to eleven. To wow. be honest, really, I think that they're all the the four of them anyway. Not counting Lamar Jackson, who could go up that high as well. Who knows? I don't think any of the four that people talk about between Darnold, Rose, and Mayfield and Josh Allen are actually going to make it to 11. 
they'd have to be trading up probably to get one of them. I just don't see it happening. I agree with you on that, and I think that's what we've seen in recent years is these trade-ups that weren't anticipated before the draft. You know, you didn't know that there was going to be a trade-up, you know, for Trubisky necessarily last year. I go back, think there was a trade-up to get EJ Manuel. We just see these teams get desperate. You know, the talk before the draft is, well, you know, this guy's going to drop, and and I think people are are thinking maybe of what happened with Aaron Rodgers and a couple of others. But for the most part, I think the trend in recent years has been if you like a guy, go up and get that guy. I mean, look look at everything that Chicago gave up just to move up, what was it, one spot last year to get their guy in Trubisky. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if all four of these guys are are gone. I do want to get to sort of the larger point of this is if you don't think that they would make the move to trade up, if you think that they're sort of, you know, they're interested in some of these guys, but aren't ultimately going to do enough to pull the trigger. What do they do here at the quarterback position, do they draft somebody later on, maybe a prospect that can develop in a couple of years, or do they ha- do they have to go out and get a veteran to compete with Tannehill? Because it was clear that you know they basically had Matt Moore around in part because they didn't trust him enough to be the starter, so that it wouldn't create any kind of a controversy. Because they they clearly didn't trust him enough to be the starter because they went out and spent ten million on Cutler. So what does it say about if they don't get a guy? What does it say about Tannehill, and what do you think they do with the position? Well, I think you're so right about uh, Matt Moore, and it's a it's a great point to bring up. When they talked a big game about him and thinking that they had the best backup quarterback in the league, but when it, you know push came to shove, they went ahead and shoved him aside for Jay Cutler. I think that they do want to upgrade that room, and I think it is a priority. Later on, there might be some interesting guys, but before you even get there, there's going to be free agency, and there's an interesting situation developing in Minnesota right now where all three of the guys that they have between Sam Bradford, Teddy Bridgewater, and Case Keenum might get tossed aside for Kirk Cousins. And if that happens, then you sort of have a flood of fresh guys that might be considered top backups or maybe starters flooding into the free agent market. And I think in particular, one guy that they might be interested would be Teddy Bridgewater, who originally came from the Miami area and has been working out down there in Miami with uh, Devontae Parker already. That's a guy that they would be interested in. The question is, is somebody going to go out there and give Teddy Bridgewater starter money to come out there and be a starter? I'm not sure that they will. I think that he might have to earn his way back in a little bit, and that puts him in position for possibly Miami. So I, I would pay attention to that. Yeah, and and that's one of those things that we've talked about too, which is the flood of quarterbacks into the market. One of the things that we really didn't explore, we kind of mentioned the musical chairs element of it, but what happens to the guys that get left out? Because it seems like if there are going to be, like you said, maybe four first-round picks, maybe even the top ten that come into the league, you'd imagine those teams want their guys to start. Then you have Kirk Cousins, Alex Smith, you know, Sam Bradford, Case Keenum, that class of quarterbacks, there probably will be one or two that'll just have to settle for a backup job, and maybe there'll be some market value there. Maybe you don't particularly rate Mike Glennon, but, you know, Mike Glennon's available now because he was cut by the Chicago Bears, and that's just another entry into the market. So there perhaps are decent quarterbacking options available as backups for a pretty good price. And so maybe the Dolphins kind of look at their roster and go, we can still upgrade at that kind of behind Tannehill position, get a decent guy to sort of be there just in case. And maybe if Tannehill doesn't deliver this season, we can you know go after a quarterback in next year's first round because there aren't 32 starter quality quarterbacks 
for 32 NFL teams, but I feel like the number that feels like they don't have anything at that position is going to start to dwindle once these first-round quarterbacks come into the league, once these free agent quarterbacks get spread around. I feel like we'll be in a pretty decent place when it comes to teams and their starting quarterback position. So maybe they just you know kick the can towards next year, try and get a decent backup on a market that's going to be flooded with quarterbacks and see if maybe Tannehill does deliver or, or sort of at least make you feel comfortable enough to keep, to go forward with him. All right, let's get to the second element we wanted to hit on. We, we spent a lot of time on quarterbacks because I think it's what people are most interested in. But obviously the Dolphins have needs at a bunch of other positions on offense. And we want to handle the skill positions here first and go through them one by one. Tight end, wide receiver, and running back. And, and let, let's start with wide receiver, CK, because you know as we're taping this uh, podcast it's pretty clear that the Jarvis Landry situation, which, you know, could end up with Landry somewhere else. I mean, we've gotten to the point where there are enough reports of Landry's agent, you know, being allowed to sort of shop for a deal, you know, that he's going to sign the $16 million franchise tag, but it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to work out a long-term contract. Before we discuss receiver, you know, we've sort of got to handle that, you know, what happens with Landry and then how do they replace him? Do they even attempt to replace him early in the draft in, in what does not appear to be a, a high-end draft for wide receivers, although there, there are some prospects who could be there at 11, whether it's Calvin Ridley or maybe a little bit later in the draft? I think, honestly, they're not going to try to replace a Jarvis Landry with an individual player. I think that it's going to be a larger effort. You've got guys waiting in the wings that have been waiting for their chance, like like Jakeem Grant, who's been explosive on the few attempts that he's actually given. I think that if you look at it and look at the history and what Kenny Stills has done from the slot, you'd actually see he's been really productive when in the slot, especially because he's always been a very good player when he's been able to hide in stacks and not be pressed at the line. So. I think that Leontay Carew, you know, say what you will about him being slow to come on. Uh, People say that about guys when they haven't received many chances and he hasn't received many chances. And so he's a slot. He's clearly been training on as a slot behind. So they have options there. They're going to probably get a guy at a personality somewhere, somewhere in there. And does that mean Christian Kirk way up top? I, I don't think that's a good bet. I think that they might start looking a little bit later on for guys like, uh, you know, Deshaun Hamilton or maybe Javon Wims. It depends on where where they see him. I think that they're going to attack this multiple ways. And one thing I will say is I think that they're going to try and get the running back a little bit more involved in the passing game. And, you know, those kinds of passes, those kinds of attempts tend to eat into a slot's activity a little bit. So between tight end, running back, wide receiver Kenny Stills you're looking at a group effort you don't think that uh, the because the the Patriots can't take all the white wide receivers you don't think uh, <laughs> Redfro and Barrios could be in there maybe well I you know I think you got to have money on uh, on the Patriots getting both of them uh, <laughs> <laughs> and dominating the rest of the league with them uh, in terms of the other uh, skill position uh, skill positions I don't think running backs that big of a need I really like what Kenyon Drake did and I think they'll end up bringing Damian Williams back and as a combo I'm, I'm pretty okay with them but tight end I think uh, the the clear candidate to be cut at the moment by the Dolphins is is Julius Thomas so that would leave an opening there is that maybe a first-round target who, who can kind of be in that position 
there are some guys that I would consider at the first round at the tight end position and one guy I'd consider at the first round at the, the running back position. But I would say that this is, again, the difference between what we think that they should do versus what they think they should do. I think that um, we may have a situation where they actually are looking for a running back. And everything that I've gotten sort of, you know, we fancy ourselves having first degree, second degree, inside sources, whatever. Everything I've heard is that they're actually spending a lot of resources on the running back position. Mm-hmm. And they're not approaching this offseason like they did last offseason where they this was all about Jay Ajayi and making him the bell cow and, um, and getting him more opportunities and everything. They're not treating Kenyon Drake like they did Jay Ajayi last time. They're approaching this offseason, whether it's free agency, trades, draft. They're approaching it like they need another major player. And I think that's why you see them paying attention to guys like Darius Geis and Sony Michelle. And I think that they're going to acquire a major running back. Yeah, it's interesting what you're talking about with the running back position, because as well as Drake played last year, you know, it does look like somebody that they want to limit maybe to, you know, 15 or so carries a game. So the the carries would go somewhere else. But I just want to cycle back to the tight end position here again, because it it doesn't appear Fasano is going to be back either. So so you're talking about two potential spots in terms of when when you run those two tight end sets. Why have they had, in your opinion, CK, why have they had so much trouble with that position. It doesn't get talked about as much as, as offensive line, but I mean, the only guy they've had who's been productive in the last decade, maybe, uh, has been Charles Clay. What, what's been the problem at that spot? Well, I think you just kind of hit on it when you talk about Charles Clay being the only guy that they had. So the major problem is that they didn't keep him. They put a transition tag on him and then a series of missteps happen and he ends up in Buffalo. That's been a problem. They thought that they could just go ahead and replace him with Jordan Cameron. It didn't work out that way. This is another one of those guys that are, you know, outside the organization and they bring him into the organization and they don't end up being worth the money. Julius Thomas, just the latest iteration of that. So now what you have, they really are going to have to look at the draft. And I don't know if there's anything systematic about this position that you know makes us think that they're going to always get it wrong or that they've been getting it wrong for a reason. I think it kind of boils down to the one mistake, which was letting Charles Clay go. And this draft, they're going to have a chance to right that mistake because this is actually, I think anyway, this is a really strong tight end class. This is one of the strongest tight end classes that I've seen in years. So as you kind of like transition to some of these other... Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Their skill positions and talk about tight end. I think right away you're talking about Mark Andrews at the top of the tight end class, and I think he's been the best tight end in college football for three consecutive years. He's been the most interesting guy in college football to me for three years. Uh, and then the Penn State player, Mike Gesicki, he's a basketball guy. Uh, Juice, you might you might appreciate him. <laughs> he's a, a real talent, a real athlete. You can watch some of his basketball tape. You can see that. But he showed it at Penn State. And he's just a terrible blocker, though. That's the thing that you have to watch out. But how valuable is that at the NFL level, really, considering how you know what they put up with and blocking from guys like Julius Thomas? I don't know. 
But then you've got Dallas Goddard uh, from South Dakota State. He didn't work out at the Combine. If he did, then it might be a more interesting story for us. We might have to wait for his pro day. But on tape, he looks really good. You're just not sure how you can trust his tape or how much you can trust his tape, considering that he's facing guys from, you know, Furman or South Dakota or, you know, those guys that are all the fastest among them running four sevens and four eights. You know, that's that's the hard thing there. Hayden Hurst, South Carolina, looks really interesting on tape. Uh, he looks very explosive. He looks a little bit like Travis Kelsey. The other problem there, again, is this was a guy that was 24 years old or thereabouts and had been through a professional athlete system previously with baseball. So he was literally a man beating up on 18 and 19 year old boys at times. And that's one of those positions tight end. You are beating up on other guys. It's not a technical position. It's not a golf swing we're talking about. So you kind of wonder about that. But then the other guys, Ian Thomas of Indiana, and he didn't test fast at the combine, but he did show his explosiveness and his overall athletic ability. And he's a very smooth pass catcher. So you got five guys right at the top, take one of them with a first, second, third round pick, something along those lines. You're going to do a lot of good for your position, but I know they're also interested in Christopher Herndon from the yeah. University of Miami, and so they're they're going to pay attention to him. So it does look like they may draft a tight end on the first or second day. All right, let's get to another position for our third breakdown here. Breakdown, I think, is appropriate uh, to talk about this particular spot. I mean, we talk about struggling to fill the tight end position. Nothing's been more of a disaster for the Dolphins over the past decade plus than the offensive line. And and so I guess let's start here before we get into some of the prospects that they may look at. What do you think they do with the guys that are already in a house? Let's start with Juwan James and Mike Pouncey. James gone, Pouncey still here. Is that how you see that playing out? Yeah, I think uh, I think that Pouncey is a guy that Adam Gase relies on from everything I've heard again, for what that's worth. He's a guy that Adam Gase relies on in the locker room to tell him what's going on there. And to also, you know, be part of the program and, and lead by example. So if they can help it, unless this uh, this 500 pound weight on their chest with the salary cap is, is forcing them to downgrade their cash commitment at center, then they're going to try and pay Mike Pouncey and keep him around. As for Juwan James, though, they're going to try to work out a deal. But the problem is that Morgan Moses signed, I think it was a five-year, $40 million deal. Morgan was drafted a little bit below Juwan James. He's played about as well as Juwan James. Uh, he's kind of the model for that contract. And if Juwan is not willing to give them a little bit of a hometown discount and make himself cheaper for them, then you know he's gone. I think that Jesse Davis is going to be looked at as an option for right tackle to replace Juwan. But you always notice that Adam Gates, whenever he talks about this, it's always a little strange. But he talks about this. He talks about Jesse Davis and Sam Young together and what they did on the right side of the offensive line late in the season when they didn't have Juwan James and when Jesse Davis was the right guard. He always talks them about them as a pair, and he always says that they, they did some really good things late in the year. So you never know when they're going to rate one of their own a lot higher than everybody else does, which is actually something that they've seemed to do for a while with guys like Dallas Thomas and uh, Jermon Bushrod. But I would watch for that. Maybe they might think that they've got those in-house options already there and that they're just going to have to acquire a left guard. Man, that would bum me out, man, because I, 
you just saw it how often running back. I mean, it's why I think they made the Jay Jai trade because because there was no operating room for a traditional style running back, so you had to try and bring in you know a different kind of playmaker to make any kind of running game work. So I, I just I don't rate anybody that they're bringing back, even Pouncey. And, and I know this might be a bit harsh, but they spent the entire year just trying to keep him healthy. Like, do we, I mean, again, I'm not someone who's studying centers, right? So perhaps I could be wrong, but I saw plays where, you know, he individually got blown up and as a collective, they got no push in the run game and the kind of scouting stats, you know, back that and, you know, in general, their yards after contact prove that. So I, I just don't think that this is an offensive line that you kind of run it back with again. So are you going to say, you know, Sam Young, Jesse Davis, Mike Pouncey and, and Laramie Tunsil is going to, you know, get you even, you know, top half of the league level offensive line play? I don't think so. I think they have real work to do. And I know the fans would hate it because it, it would represent more Dolphins picks that aren't dynamic playmakers, which to me they are short on. But if they went guard at 11 or if they went offensive line at 11, I would not mind because I think they're still one of the five worst, seven worst, whatever you want to call it, offensive lines in football. And I think they need to do real work there to improve it. Yeah, what I'll say about that is that this class in particular, I I really agree with what you're saying uh, in, in general, but this class in particular it's a little bit, and we're talking about offense right now, and we'll talk about defense, um, I'm sure, a little bit later. But in terms of looking at the comparison between offense and defense, offense is, is pretty depressing compared to defense in this uh, the top end of this draft. And uh, particularly along the offensive line, there aren't any real offensive tackles that I feel great about at number 11 overall, which is unusual. There are usually some offensive tackles that feel, that you feel pretty good about there. So there's nobody, there's no Jawan James replacement that feels like a good fit or a good value there. And then when you come to the interior, very rarely am I going to say that a, a guard is going to be worth that level of pick because I think that you want a, a play, not not just a playmaker because that gets tossed around, but somebody who really stirs the drink and changes maybe the way that the offense or defense on the other side plays you. I would I would phrase it more as something unique that you couldn't find in mid-level free agency or a via practice squad or somebody that you discover, right? That's why people you know, say that about running back because how many teams just find running backs? I feel like that's kind of the same with guards and centers is that you're supposed to just kind of find these players. But the thing is that the Dolphins, for me, have struggled so much to do that. I'm okay with them allocating resources for it. Yeah, I, I think that that's the right way to think about it is the differentiation and whether they can give you something over the cheaper guys. But with this class, I don't think that the guys up top at the guard position really differentiate that well. I know that everybody's on to Quentin Nelson, and he is a good player. He's going to be a pretty good pro, but he looks a bit more Chance Warmack to me than he does you know, David DeCastro. And so that's the problem that I'm running into with him. I think that he's not particularly good in space. He's not particularly good you know, scraping behind the offensive line on the pole. I think that he's technically very sound. He's really strong, has a very good anchor, and he's got a great frame. But is he unique? I can't be sure about that. That's why I don't necessarily like guard at 11. And I think at 11, you need to be focusing on a guy that makes the opposing offensive coach or the opposing defensive coach give up something he doesn't want to give up. All right, let's get to our fourth topic here on the podcast. And you mentioned how it's a little bit more impressive in terms of the defensive players that are available 
early in this draft. Now, before, again, before we get to some of the prospects here that could be there for the Dolphins, let, let's go through a little bit of sort of where they stand at this stage. You mentioned the, uh, the Robert Quinn pickup, so cl- clearly he's going to be a factor at defensive end and, and probably at linebacker as well. You've got Charles Harris going into his second season. Big plans for him. As of right now, and Dominican Sue still on the roster, something I think we need to get into here a little bit more. Cameron Wake coming back for another year. They haven't cut Lawrence Timmons yet, but clearly that's that's going to happen. And they've got Raquan McMillan coming back. So let, let's start with sort of where they stand in the front seven, CK, and, and where they need to make improvements and, and and if you think that they're going to move on from guys like Alonzo and Branch who would be more expensive to cut than to keep or whether or not you think those two guys will be part of it this year well where they are right now and this was this was true when we were looking at the team before the season is they're probably the slowest defense in the NFL and I'm, I'm not trying to say that as hyperbole or exaggeration I really mean pound for pound snap for snap they are probably the slowest defense in the NFL. They rely on their linebackers and their defensive linemen more than just about any other team out there because they never throw out a dime defense. So just think about that lack of speed that happens as a result of that decision. So that makes them slower. And then you look at the linebackers that they do rely on or that they did rely on this year. There are Kiko Alonso and Lawrence Timmons. Kiko Alonso is a 4-7 guy. Lawrence Timmons had been in the league for 10 years. I don't think he was a 4-6-0 kind of guy anymore by that time. And they're using defensive ends like Andre Branch and Cameron Wake that are good for their for defensive end positions. And you know, Dominican Sue is good for a defensive tackle position or decent for a defensive tackle position as far as his speed goes. But nothing that's really outstanding there. So between that and the corner positions, you started out with Byron Maxwell, who's not a particularly fast corner, and Xavier Howard, who is not necessarily a jet burner there either. Cordrea Tankersley really inserted some speed when he started playing. They were a slow defense. So what do, you, what do they need to do in this year? They need to add speed. Where does Robert Quinn fit into that? Well, Robert Quinn is actually a fast defensive end, but he doesn't really fit into that, that effort. That's one of the problems. That's one of the curious things about allocating another $10 million to him is he's an outside speed rusher, and that's where he's going to fit in for the defense. But he doesn't get them faster against the passing game. So you're looking at what they need to add. They need to start adding either a really fast linebacker or they need to start getting some more defensive backs on the field. And in order to get more defensive backs on the field, they need to get bodies back there, like really good ones that are worth putting out there. Now, it's, it appears that they have six defensive backs set right now, right, CK? I mean, if you look at the roster, you, Howard, Tankersley, McCain, Lippett, provided that, that he comes back healthy, and then McDonald and Rashad Jones. So, I, I mean, are they good enough? With those six guys, or, or do you see defensive back? I mean, they, they've addressed it now the last two drafts, you know, pretty high, right? I mean, uh, Tankersley and Howard. Do you see them potentially going for a DB on the, in the first couple of days? Yeah, actually, and, and I think that you said it. Um, they do get Tony Lippett back, which is a big plus for them. But when these defenses go six defensive backs, when they go dime, it's generally a three-safety look. So they only have, right now they have two. They have Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald. Uh, it depends on what their internal evaluation is of Michael Thomas and whether they're going to assign him back. So they need they need another safety, and they thought they had another safety last year, Nate Allen. But a he played pretty poorly when he did play, and then you know b he got hurt. 
So they need another safety. I think that they're going to look at safety very high in the draft. They might even take him with the 11th overall pick. I think Derwin James and Minka Fitzpatrick are square in their sights right now. I think especially Minka, who is sort of a uh, a slot corner and safety, you know, in-between guy. He played in Nick Saban's defense in, at Alabama, and he's always been, I mean, they call him Saban Jr. and stuff like that because he's a perfectionist just like Nick Saban. He understands the defense totally, and uh, and he calls a lot of shots on the field. And meanwhile, the defensive backs coach that they just brought over from Detroit, he has a lot of experience with Saban's, in, in particular Saban's coverage and Saban's defensive playbook. He never really coached directly with Saban, but if you look at all the guys that he coached under and a lot of the guys that he coached with, they were all Saban guys. So there's a lot of there's a lot of overlap there. That's why Minka Fitzpatrick could be in the play for the Dolphins at number 11 overall. But otherwise, they ought to think about Derwin James. And some teams are thinking about looking at Derwin James as part corner, part safety as well. But the truth is he can play just about any of the positions on defense and did so at Florida State, whether it be linebacker, corner, or safety. I think he's just a phenomenal athlete and definitely has that alpha personality that everybody, buzzword that everybody talks about. And also comes with the uh, Dalvin Cook Memorial Florida State Seminole that UM fans were terrified of. Uh, be- because because uh, when, whenever you know Miami would play them, that's the guy you had immense respect for that could ruin games. Yeah, absolutely. I think that his his combine performance was easy to predict, and I, I think that he's he's one of the best picks that they could possibly make at that eleven overall pick. And I think he's got to be square in their sights. And I think the other one, like I said, Minka Fitzpatrick. I think they're going to be looking at those two guys front and center. All right, let's switch gears a little bit for our fifth part here. Um, I want to talk about free agency because obviously that plays into what happens in the draft. And we've talked about what some of the needs are, and it's pretty clear that the Dolphins have a lot of needs. I mean, we've, we've addressed a lot of different positions that they need to fill this time around. Now, the Robert Quinn uh, move is a trade. Um, let's include you know those kind of players in here, too. What do you see them doing with veteran players here, CK? I mean, is there going to be another big addition? It doesn't appear with the cap the way it is that, that there can be one necessarily. But but what do you what do you think would be potential targets for them in a free agency situation to add to what they're going to do in the draft? I think that the tea leaves seem to be pointing toward they're going to make some sort of free agent acquisition on the offensive line. I know last year they ran with a narrative that they don't have to uh, spend on the guard positions, that it's not that important in their system. I think this year they're going to come back, maybe give a little mea culpa on that and, and sign somebody. I don't know which guy, but it's probably going to be a left guard to slide next to Laramie Tunsil and be a little bit of a veteran presence for him to lean on. Because Laramie Tunsil, you know, he didn't have as great a year as he should have in his first playing left tackle. And I think that they don't want to move him or do anything drastic, but they want to make him good. And so one of the ways that you can do that, putting a veteran presence in at left guard, helping him out. And then who knows what they do on the right side. We talked about it already. I think I know that Jesse Davis is probably in those plans. I just don't know who the other guy is. 
what they've said in public would seem to indicate that they don't particularly trust either of, the, of their tackles right now. They're more likely to keep giving Tunsil chances because, you know, it's only his third year and it's only his second year at the position. But I, I don't think there's really a place other than, like we talked about earlier with Pouncey, where because of the his sort of veteran presence, it helps in that regard. I don't think there's any of the offensive linemen that you can definitely say, we feel comfortable, we feel good about that position. Yeah, and I think I would also watch out for, like I said, they're spending a lot of resources. It's not just draft running backs. It's also free agent running backs. C.J. Anderson, he gets Mm -hmm. made available from Denver. That was a guy that they wanted to bring in already to say that he loves Adam Gase and the running backs coach that they brought in from Denver. I think that's a pretty obvious one if they go that way. Uh, And I think he's a veteran presence to kind of balance out with Kenyon Drake as well so i if i'm looking at veterans you gotta say these guys are are tight against the cap because they are i mean they're, they're not going to have much freedom to do anything here but i would look at a left guard and look for them to maybe fill left guard and right uh, running back in the va or via free agency what about i, I saw today that uh, jimmy graham is probably not going to be renewed in seattle would that interest you at all I think it would interest them because I'm pretty sure they tried to trade for him a couple of years back and the trade conversation got away from them. And then he ended up at Seattle instead. I think that that would automatically interest them and they're going to be interested in he and probably Austin Safarian Jenkins. Mm. And maybe, maybe the guy Tyler Eifert from Cincinnati as well. They seem to like these broken down stories uh, <laughs> pretty well enough. So, <laughs> right. um, I mean, yeah, they're, all these guys are going to interest them. Uh, but, hey, what are they going to do with so little money? They just added $10 million more million to an already bad situation. Yeah, so. I mean, that's that's the big thing, CK. I mean, you mentioned that, that they like these broken down stories. And, I mean, you mentioned Eifert. That's the first thing that comes to mind for me. And I, and I just I, – I know, again, you're tied against the cap and you have to take a chance on a guy and hope that the guy comes through. And then you hope that you don't extend the guy for crazy money after that, which seems to be their MO also. But I, just to close on this, because I just wanted to sort of get to a, a more of a philosophical question about – where they're going as a regime right now. I mean, you've got Tannenbaum, you know, this will be what basically year four, right, that he's he's making decisions. Adam Gase in his third year. And yet I see a lot when I sort of troll Dolphins Twitter and, and see people talking that maybe this is a transitional year and that you're going to blow the thing up in 2019 and, and start over. And maybe it might even be Gase who's, who's doing that. What do you view 2018 as? I mean, are they in position right now with the picks that they have, the cap situation? that they have, the players they have coming back to really compete for a playoff spot? Or or do you see this as kind of a bridge year to something else? I think that they're looking at this as uh, basically a retry on 2017. They thought that they had the pieces in place, and then Ryan Tannehill broke down before things even got started. And so they're going to look at 2018 to try and keep the band together, make some improvements, and let's try this again. And I think that the more they get on, that's the, the paradigm that's, that's going to take over, the narrative that's going to take over in their minds. I think that as the season went on, Ryan Tannehill got better and better without playing a snap. <laughs> right. And they're, they're missing him more and more. They're kind of starting to appreciate what they had in him that they couldn't get out of a Jay Cutler or a Matt Moore. And everything that I kept hearing from them is how depressing it all is that Ryan Tannehill is not here, how much they love him, how much they thought he was on the verge of breaking out and to stardom. This is another reason why I don't necessarily buy this quarterback at 11 talk or trading up for a quarterback 
is because they really started to get more and more sold on what Ryan Tannehill was bringing to the table the more they saw what other guys couldn't. So I think they're going to look at 2018 as sort of a retry, and then if it doesn't work, that's when you're going to see the total blow up and really just reset a lot of things and blow up a lot of the offense in particular. And you could see, I mean, if the defense is still terrible next year, then it might start at the top. They might get rid of Burke and uh, and go with somebody else, at defensive coordinator. You know, it's interesting what you're talking about there, uh, CK, because it's almost like Jay Cutler's presence just made Ryan Tannehill uh, <laughs> look a lot better. And then so Dolphin fans, if things don't go well this year, they can blame Jay Cutler again because it will be well, it was because of Jay Cutler we decided to keep Ryan Tannehill. So we'll see how things go in the draft. Again, you can follow him at CK Parrot. You can follow me at Ethan J. Skolnick, Chris Whittingham at Chris Whittingham. Send questions. Uh, we'll try to answer them there. And again, uh, go to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher if you have Android. We will be doing two podcasts Additionally, this week, we're going to sit down with Jason Jackson, talk some heat, tell some stories this week as well. We're bringing Jason Leisure from the Palm Beach Post on later this week. Thank you for joining us. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.